You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today I'll be reading When You Say Nothing at All by Trenchcoat Baby, chapters 5 and 6. The reading for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic include Alpha Castiel Omega Dean Winchester, Mutual Pining, Crush at First Sight, Sexual Tension, Eye Sex, Character Study, Relationship Study, Alternate Universe College slash University, Professor Castiel, Insecure Dean Winchester, Falling in Love, True Mates, Fluff and Smut, Scenting, Stanford Student Sam Winchester, Past Castiel Meg Masters, Everyone Ships Castiel and Dean, Fake Science, Miscommunication, Top Castiel Bottom Dean Winchester, Explicit Sexual Content, Happy Ending. Chapter 5, September Dean swayed on his stool, trying hard to stay upright. Ellen eyed him warily, wiping a glass with a bar rag and giving him the side eye. But he wasn't drunk. Nope, not at all. Not yet, anyways. Me likey, he mumbled, sloshing the remaining whiskey around the bottom of his glass. You know, I ought to thank that boy you're half-crazed over, Ellen mused stacking the freshly dried glass on the shelf behind her. With how much whiskey you've ordered in the past two weeks? You've paid my electric bill twice over. Dean grumbled a sarcastic, you're very friggin' welcome, and emptied his glass in one fluid motion, the warmth of the whiskey settling into his stomach. It was true, yeah, he'd been spending more and more time seated at the bar of the roadhouse. Unfortunately for Ellen, it had led to an impromptu bar fight last month when a group of drunk idiots were commenting on his tight little Omega ass. And then two weeks ago, he had gotten so drunk that he started belting out Imaginary Lover, despite the fact that the roadhouse was not, in fact, a karaoke bar. He had also escaped here during the three-day period of Cass's rut, where, after his alpha had literally passed out on the bathroom floor, he had reached into Cass's pocket and called Gabriel frantically. 
By the time the overzealous beta had arrived, Dean had managed to clean them both up of any um, obvious evidence of their encounter, straightened out their clothes, and gotten cast aroused slightly and drink some water. Still, Gabriel had taken one long look at the pair of them and grinned wickedly. The scent of alpha rut and sated omega heavy as a toxic fume in the small restroom. Every instinct in Dean's body begged him to stay at Cass's side, to take care of him, to let himself be nodded over and over again until his body begged for nothing else. But Cass had only shaken his head, the noble rule-abiding bastard, and slung himself over Gabriel's shoulder. It felt unnatural, and Omega being parted from his alpha during a time of crisis— and Dean loathed the forced separation more than he wanted to cut Sammy's hair when it reached shoulder length. At the very least, Dean wouldn't let Cass leave without a parting kiss, a desperate sort of guttural motion that begged his alpha to reconsider, to let him stay near. Dean was just about to slip some tongue in between Cass's parted lips, sealing his rather effective argument, when Gabriel cleared his throat comically and nodded towards the open door. Dean pulled away glaring and watched his hurting Alpha stumble out of the room without him. It had all happened so fast. The fight, the reconciliation, the rut, the sex. Looking back, Dean wasn't even sure he was okay spreading his legs before he even got to have a fucking conversation with Cass. But hadn't he initiated things? The whole jumbled up order of things was starting to mess with him. So what's the story? Ellen prodded, spreading her hands wide on the countertop. Sam said you're smitten over some alpha. <laughs> Dean made a general sound of disapproval, tilting his glass sideways. Sounds like Sam's already filled you in. What do you need me for? He griped, and then Ellen narrowed her eyes. He didn't want to snap at Ellen, but fuck it. He couldn't be held responsible for his bad moods lately. He was frustrated in every sense of the word. Situationally, emotionally, sexually... Sorry, don't mean to be an ass, I'm just... Dean frowned, sliding his glass forward, a silent request for another. Ellen rolled her eyes but complied, tipping the spout of the whiskey pint and filling Dean's lowball. Past few weeks have been hell. After the disaster situation in the bathroom stall, though Dean had found the whole thing highly enjoyable before his alpha had literally fainted in his arms... He had been forced to wait a full week before seeing Cass again. A full fucking week. It had been the longest seven days of Dean's life, knowing that Cass was spending most of their time apart in unbearable agony. Desperate for advice, Dean had even called up the only other mated alpha he knew, his maternal grandfather, Samuel Campbell, who had confirmed Dean's suspicions. Even though him and Cass weren't technically mated yet, they had bonded emotionally and physically to the point that from here on out, they would both be miserable during heats and ruts. Unless they were together, of course, or they let the bond naturally fade. The second opinion was really not an opinion at all, though. No fucking way. In the meantime, though, Cass's rut had made him sick with full-blown flu-like symptoms, all because he wouldn't let Dean break the rules of the case study and go to him, kiss him, take his knot. So Dean had spent several miserable days irritated as hell at his damn martyr of an alpha, wishing he could help. You and him fighting? Ellen asked him conversationally, as if it was a natural assumption, and Dean shook his head. Not anymore, he said, unable to keep the relief out of his voice. 
When Ellen looked at him expectantly, he continued. We, uh, had a difference of opinion on something, but we're good now. Dean had been filled with righteous anger and anxious concern, somehow in equal measure, as he waited for Cass to arrive at their next session. It had been a full week since their bathroom encounter, and only a few days after Cass's rut had ended. Dean had been ready to let his alpha know how not okay it was to put his health at risk in the name of goddamn social science. But the moment Castiel crossed through the threshold and his eyes found Dean, those stunning blues full of pleading apology, Dean had crumbled on the spot. They had embraced each other instantly, cosmically, like two desolate planets finding their orbit. They clung to one another for the entirety of their 30-minute session, sighing in respite because their contact felt right, felt natural after another week on their own. If you're all good, then, Ellen waved a hand in his general direction. Why are you drinking yourself into oblivion? That, now that, was the $4 million question. Today was Friday and they had done it, Dean and Cass. They had finished their very last session. Incidentally, and without a shred of embarrassment, they had spent the whole time making out, no longer caring if Charlie got an eyeful. This last session seemed more like a formality anyways, since the spunky anthropologist Dean now considered his friend had been strangely cool with the whole messing around in the bathroom incident from two weeks ago. Waving Dean's concerns away and explaining it was just more data to add to her case study. Dean had been surprised by her laissez-faire attitude, but decided not to look a gift horse in the mouth. He'd gotten to fool around with Cass. Cass had survived his rut, barely, but he had done it. And tomorrow... Tomorrow was Charlie's presentation, her thesis defense. Dean and Castiel would both be in attendance and on stage, since that had been part of the contract they'd signed. Charlie hadn't given them any warning about what the presentation would be like or what sort of conclusions she had drawn about them, but whatever, Dean was ready for it. As long as he could speak to Castiel once the whole academic showboating fest was over, he supposed it was worth an hour or two of public speculation. Or humiliation. At least, that's what he was hoping. He still had nerves about tomorrow that had nothing to do with Charlie's case study. Tomorrow is... He cleared his throat and glanced down at his hands, watching the smudged imprint the pads of his fingers left on the glass. Nobody but Sam and Charlie knew about the case study. And though Dean certainly trusted Ellen with this unusual information, it was still too fresh, too raw to talk about just yet. Basically, it's going to be our first chance to talk. Really talk, and I'm... Well, hell. I'm me, and he's Cass, the smart-as-hell professor with a high-class background. What if we talk and things aren't good anymore? Ellen snorted, and Dean's head shot up defensively. Hey, what the hell? I'm burying my freaking soul over here. Ellen raised a hand for silence, looking amused. Relax, Dean. I was only laughing because Lady Killer Dean Winchester is sitting at my bar, the same bar where I've seen you pick up a dozen girls in the past year alone, wondering if someone will like him. You have nothing to worry about, kid. Dean knew she was trying to reassure him, but he felt his jaw grow tight and rigid. Cass isn't some barfly I can use a pickup line on and take home, he explained impatiently. He's got hopes and dreams and thoughts and opinions and the vocab of William fucking Shakespeare, if I had to guess. He's going to take one look at me and see... 
he'll see someone with hopes and dreams and thoughts and opinions and the vocab of, well, Han Solo. Or John Wayne. She leaned her elbows against the counter, grinning. But something tells me he'll like that just fine. Dean glanced away, fighting the spread of heat on his cheeks. He wasn't used to compliments unless they were of the unclothed variety. Uh, you know, Ellen. Apparently he wasn't used to thanking people either. Or he had waited so long to finish that the bar owner just rolled her eyes, reaching for another glass to dry. Anytime, Dean, she said, smiling genuinely, as another customer hailed her over and ordered a drink. Wishing gave me a number Wish I could call you today Just to hear a voice I got a long way to go Getting further away If I didn't know the difference Living alone probably be okay It wouldn't be lonely I got a long way to go I'm getting further away Dean stared into the floor-length mirror, frowning. No way, he proclaimed loudly for the hundredth time. Sam and the new girl he was dating, Jess, were sitting on the edge of the couch sharing companionable grins. Come on, Dean, it looks good, Sam repeated, and yeah, after a 20-minute discussion of his outfit, it was becoming clear to Dean that they were talking themselves in circles here. Awesome. Dean tugged at the starched fabric currently imprisoning his arms, feeling sweaty and unsettled. He looked at Jess, wondering the softest way to deliver this news. Uh, no offense to your cousin or whoever you borrowed this from, but... Dean was wearing a form-fitting navy suit and white button-up. Around his neck was a similarly shaded navy tie speckled with polka dots. And Jess had slid a white, red, and light blue handkerchief into his front pocket. She had even presented him with a pair of brown dress shoes in Dean's size. And anyone else would have been grateful for the free, fancy outfit. But Dean... I look like a celebrity douchebag, he complained, trying to lunge forward in his slacks and realizing he couldn't. They were too tight. You look handsome, Jess corrected kindly, and Dean groaned, pinching the bridge of his nose. As he paced around, deliberating on what to do next, Sam walked towards the door and grabbed his coat. Sensing her boyfriend's intention to leave, evidently, Jess followed suit and grabbed her sweater. Where are y'all going? Dean demanded, his head swimming with other possible attire options. Maybe he could call one of his co-workers to see if they had a spare suit hanging in their closets. Or maybe he could bite the bullet and rent one. Though on his meager budget, he'd probably end up looking like he was headed to a redneck wedding or a high school prom. We're going to the case study presentation, Sam said lightly. I thought we'd ride with you, but if you're planning to freak out about your outfit for the next hour and make us late, maybe we'll just call a lift. The icy glare Dean shot his brother rivaled even Sam's iconic bitch face. He slid his phone out from his pocket to prove that they still had plenty of time, but, oh shit, 20 minutes until showtime. Fine, 
he snapped, accepting the fact that his first real conversation with Cass was going to include them both shifting around uncomfortably in monkey suits, though Cass would undoubtedly look way less douchey and way more adorable. But you're riding shotgun, dude. I ain't running a teen makeout spot on wheels. Gross, Dean, Sam complained, the edges of his ears turning pink. The drive over to Stanford was quick but strained, with Dean thrumming his fingers apprehensively against the wheel. Sam started to say something, mumbling words like, Professor Novak, and True Mates. But Dean only nodded committally, thankful that Sam's beta nose wasn't sharp enough to pinpoint the waves of restlessness that were crashing around inside the Omega. He popped in a Rolling Stones album and turned the volume up louder than was necessary, effectively ending the possibility of conversation. He parked Baby as close as possible to Coverly Auditorium, but now that the fall semester had resumed at the end of August, all the students were back on campus. Somewhere along the way, Dean had to refer to them as just that. Students. Not his standard, trust fund baby insult that had been on the tip of his tongue all year. Getting to know Cass had made him more self-conscious about the way he was always assuming the worst. Of thinking someone was one way because of their family or circumstance. When in reality, most people were much more complex than their tax bracket might suggest. It was all very inconvenient, being reasonable or whatever the hell this newfound sense of self-awareness was called. It was one of the many small ways that Cass's influence had already changed him for the better, and they hadn't even actually talked yet. Jesus. He slammed his car door and straightened his suit ceremoniously, while Sam and Jess waited respectfully nearby. Finally, they began walking towards the auditorium, the couple making polite chit-chat with one another while Dean slid his hands into his pockets, introspective and quiet. He tried to hold on to the confidence boost he had gotten from Ellen last night, but her words were already fading fast in his memory. He was about to see Cass, and even Charlie said it was best to keep them separated until the presentation. Afterwards, Dean and Cass would be free. Free to talk to hold, to touch, with no one to interfere. Damn, maybe he should have asked Sam to crash with a friend in the dorms. Because if things went the way Dean hoped they would, he'd be straddling Cass's hips and sinking onto that thick alpha cock in just a few hours' time. Sam opened the door to the auditorium, inviting Jess and Dean to file inside first. It wasn't the swankiest place on campus, which Dean suspected was because it was housed within the School of Education. He wasn't even in college, but he still knew no administration seemed to put enough resources into education. He wondered if Cass, as a future teacher, had thoughts on that. Then he remembered, with a brand new case of nerves, that he'd be able to ask him his opinions on politics and religion and life and death in just a few hours. No pressure or anything. They walked through the lobby which had a few stragglers headed in the same direction as them. They all crossed the threshold of the auditorium soon enough, doorway wide and open, and Dean, well, he tried containing his surprise. While the auditorium certainly wasn't standing room only, it was definitely full, with only stray seats of ones and twos remaining. The walls were a stark white with some decorative archwork adorning the sides. The seats blue-cushioned, the stage was a glossy oak and filled with furniture, two podiums with microphones, and in a row, three small tables with pairs of two chairs behind each one. 
before he could comprehend what that might mean. Why the hell would so many people be up there on stage? Wasn't it supposed to be him, Cass, and Charlie? The redhead in question was yanking insistently on Dean's sleeve. Dude! she barked, dragging him towards the backstage door. Dean craned his head to nod a brief goodbye to his brother, who gave him an eager thumbs up. What part of get here ten minutes early was a foreign language to you? Did I say it in Spanish? French? I know you're not a Trekkie, but maybe I said it in Klingon by mistake. Sorry, he mumbled, then cleared his throat, trying to sound more genuine. He really was sorry. He had put Charlie through more than her fair share of grief over the past few months. I, uh, had a wardrobe malfunction. She raked her eyes over him briefly as they climbed the back concrete steps. You look good, familiar in a way. She gasped audibly, her annoyance about his lateness evaporating from her expression. Huh. You kind of look like that hot dad from Riverdale. Thanks, Cheryl Blossom, he said dryly. Hey, don't knock my girl Cher. Red-headed queer gals gotta stick together. She stuck her tongue out and he nudged her on the elbow playfully. She led him to the side of the stage and towards a large black curtain where two strangers were standing. Dean, meet Donna. Charlie tilted her head towards a blonde, cheerful-looking woman slightly older than Dean. Hiya, she called, smiling earnestly. And this is Fergus. The man was short and somewhat stocky, with dark hair and a mischievous expression. Name's Crowley. He reached forward and shook Dean's hand, gripping him carelessly. Charmed, I'm sure. Right back at you, Dean muttered doubtfully. He spun around as subtly as he could, searching for the only face he cared to see today. Hey, where's Cass? On the other side of the stage, Charlie answered and almost as an afterthought to herself, added, with the other alphas. The other alphas? Dean repeated. But Charlie was already walking past him, retrieving a clipboard from a nearby table and flipping through her notes. Dean turned back to Donna and Crowley, who, yes, he could smell it now. He had been distracted before, hoping to catch a glimpse of Cass. But now he caught their scent, loud and clear. Both of these strangers were also Omegas. Which was rare, very rare. Much too rare to be a coincidence. What's going on? He asked firmly, looking at the pair of them expectantly. Dunno. No flying fudge, honestly, Donna admitted with a shrug. All I can figure is, if we were kept in the dark about something, Charlie had a darn good reason, Donna admitted with a shrug. Wait, you two were... Dean gripped the sides of his temple, fighting a forthcoming headache. You were both in Charlie's case study, too? Honestly? This just now occurred to you? Crowley sighed dramatically, rolling his eyes with a flourish. Am I the only game piece on the board who doesn't underestimate cheeky little orphan Annie over there? Am I the only game piece on the board who doesn't underestimate cheeky little orphan Annie over there? Mouth agape, Dean turned towards Charlie, his new favorite friend, who was keeping ominously busy. Hmm. Charlie, he growled, hoping his voice would carry. Her head snapped up quickly, but her eyes returned to her papers. She looked strangely guilty. Dean walked toward her in long strides and spoke in a whisper, 
not wanting cheery Minnesota blondie and annoying English accent over there to overhear. What the hell are you not telling me? He demanded, crossing his arms and leaning closer. Listen, it's not as bad as you may think. She glanced up and offered him a weak smile. Did I tell you the whole truth in the experiment? No. Are you and Cass going to be angry with me? I... Well... She gulped, staring down at her notes again. That's to be determined. Charlie, just trust me, Kay? And keep an open mind. She patted him impishly with her clipboard and walked across the stage before Dean could argue any further. He had half a mind to follow her, but when she threw open the adjacent curtain, Dean's focus shifted drastically. There were two alpha women across the way, one with short dark brown hair, jeans and a nice sweater, another with vibrant red curls, tall frame dressed head to toe in dark leather. Cass was sitting beside the two women, looking sheepishly out of place and wearing a navy blue suit. A navy blue suit that looked almost identical to Dean's. They looked at each other across the long stretch of stage and chuckled, arms waving between the two incredulously. There were very few differences between them, just minor details, like Dean's suit jacket only had two buttons while Castiel's had three. Dean could see that Cass's tie was such a rich shade of dark blue that it almost looked indigo, patterned with small circles. Otherwise, their outfits were coordinating almost too well, and it was honestly really fucking eerie. And, Dean admitted against his better judgment, really fucking cute. I'm just so happy for you fellas, Donna said, voice pleasant and sweet. Huh? Dean turned to her, only taking his eyes off Cass for the briefest moment. He thought he would feel more nervous once he saw Cass, but to his stunned enjoyment, the opposite had actually occurred. He felt calm, emboldened. You and the Alpha? The handsome guy over there? Donna sounded less certain the more she spoke. Just from your scent, I assumed you two are, you know. What this lovely little stalk of Minnesota sweet corn is trying, and failing miserably to ask, Crowley interjected. As if you and your navy-suited doppelganger over there are doing the manky-panky, enjoying the back passage, fondling each other's dangly bits. I, we... Dean stared at him, blinking and sputtering, unconvinced he had heard this guy correctly because what the ever-loving fuck? How the hell is that any of your business? He looked at Donna with dismay. She hadn't meant for things to travel in this direction, obviously. Isn't it in the slightest? Crowley said glibly and with a shrug. Just thought the details of your sex life might be somewhat less dull than watching paint dry, which is our current activity. Dean scowled, nearly growling in irritation, and stared straight ahead without answering. He decided right there and then that, whatever information Charlie had kept from him, she'd spent four months on and off in the company of Crowley. That had been punishment enough. Before Dean could think of a proper comeback... A thin, regal-looking redhead went on stage and introduced herself as Dr. Anna Milton, Ph.D., head of the anthropology department. The room quieted, both on stage and off, as she introduced two candidates seeking to defend their doctoral theses. Two people. Two. The first was Charlie, who sauntered on stage, though Dean could tell she was flushed and sweaty with nerves. The second was some guy named Ash, who was sporting a long and messy mullet 
and a wrinkled button-up shirt. He looked the type of guy who'd feel much more comfortable slamming PBRs at the roadhouse, an activity Dean had certainly approved of, but apparently he was getting his Ph.D. in genetics and genomics instead. Well, hot damn. There was applause as the two presenters took their places. New Life Outlook aside, if Dean had to hear the word Ph.D. one more time today, he might actually throttle someone. Thanks a million, Dr. Milton, not only for your guidance, but for believing in this weird little project. Charlie was positioned at one of the podiums now with Ash at the other, as the department head took her swift exit off stage. At this time, I'd like for the case study participants to join us. You'll see name cards on each table. Donna was the closest to the edge of the stage and led the way, Dean and Crowley following distantly behind. There was too much for Dean to process at once. The brightness of the stage lights, the feeling of hundreds of eyes suddenly on him, the irritation he felt at not knowing what the hell was going on. The only thing that kept him from wanting to bolt was the knowledge that he could hopefully share a table with Castiel, could hopefully sneak a hand on the Alpha's knee and find some reassurance and familiarity there. He felt innately relieved when he saw he had been right. Him and Cass had been assigned to the far right table, and the Alpha was already sitting and waiting for him patiently. Dean pulled his chair out and Castiel stood up automatically, eyes locked and unrelenting, waiting for him to sit. The Omega felt the insides of his stomach began to flutter. Under any other circumstance, he would have made a joke out of the gesture, would have said, This isn't a Victorian romance, Cass. You don't have to stand every time I pull out my chair. But the rules on talking versus not talking during the presentation was still a little hazy to Dean. And besides, he didn't want the first full sentence he said to Cass to be a sarcastic jab. Though he supposed if the Alpha intended to stick around, he ought to get used to it. A smile tugged on the corners of Dean's lips at the thought. Once they finally took their seats, Cass's hand found his immediately, fingers intertwining, and their eyes performed their usual silent conversation. The Alpha smelled amazingly enticing this close-up, like a wet and juicy strawberry ripe off the vine, and Dean just wanted to taste. He fought the urge to bury his head in his Alpha's neck, to scent him openly, publicly, Castiel's eyes were wide and inquisitive, attempting to read Dean by his expression alone. You okay? He mouthed softly, and Dean squeezed his hand. Better now, he answered, giving a shy smile. Up until this point, Dean had been ignoring the sheer amount of things covering their table, enraptured with his brief, if annoyingly public, reunion with his Alpha. But now he noticed it the microphone in the middle, the two folders neatly arranged and labeled with each of their names. Weird. Charlie had said they may have to participate in this presentation, but she claimed it would be minimal. Hmm. Just how much information was Charlie keeping to herself these days? To begin, Ash and I would both like to say thanks for being here. Charlie's voice was perky and breathless as it traveled through the sound system. Dean leaned forward in his chair, ready for some freaking answers already. Often, thesis defenses are private affairs, and would include just us and the lovely panel of professors in this room. But we thought our findings were so fascinating that we wanted to make it a public event. Red's right. Stay tuned. We might just turn this whole Alpha and Omega thing right on its head. 
Ash sounded and looked more like a Leonard Skinner Brody than a scientist or whatever the hell he was, and Dean stifled a chuckle. Right, so... Charlie shuffled her papers, seemingly about to launch into a very thoughtful and concise speech. About a year ago, I had a very simple idea about what my thesis project should explore. I wanted to learn more about the role of communication between alphas and omegas and how it affected their social interactions. Not a very focused topic, I'll admit. I was trying to narrow down my subject and discussing all the options with my buddy here, Ash, a brilliant geneticist and doctoral student. At the time, he had already decided on his own project. A biological isolation of the specific DNA alphas and omegas share in order to predict potential patterns and mating habits. Ash supplied helpfully, and Dean couldn't keep the astonishment from covering every inch of his face. Obviously, roadie number one was packing some serious brains underneath that mullet. We got to talking and decided to combine our two projects. A blind experiment to uncover the role of nonverbal communication in potential mates. We requested DNA samples from a pool of unmated omegas and alphas. And based on Ash's research and evaluation, we came up with three corresponding pairs. Biologically, each of these sets of individuals has the potential to be future mates. Though my results indicate that may not always be the case, but more of that later. First, I'll hand the reins over to my partner to delve deeper into the science of it all. Ash, in his wandering draw of an accent, began with the basics. Biological stuff about secondary gender that Dean had learned in grade school. It was widely known that everyone's genetic makeup had the possibility of containing X or Y chromosomes. But the fully presented alphas and omegas have a rarer chromosome that betas don't have, the Z strand. According to a dozen scientific studies Ash quoted that Dean couldn't make heads nor tails of, there were literally hundreds of specific strands possible between the genders of alphas and omegas. The correlation between the Z strand and successful mating was still incredibly variable, but supposedly, the closer and exact number of a strand could project a higher probability of mating. It dawned on Dean before Ash or Charlie actually confirmed it. This was the only reason he had been paired up with Castiel to begin with. They shared a Z chromosome. As uncomfortable as it made him, the implication that biology could overpower Dean's control over his life could attempt to strip him of his free will. He couldn't refute the evidence. Their experiment was fucking genius. First, Ash got to study if nearly matching Z strands could actually predict the likelihood of mating trends in alphas and omegas. Second, it created the perfect environment for Charlie to observe each pair, learning how far they could go in their bond with nonverbal communication alone. It was stunning and smart and infuriating as hell, but they had signed contracts as participants of a case study. A blind experiment, he reminded himself. So it was totally allowable to be kept in the dark for four months. Four goddamn months sharing a small space with their genetic soulmate. The deeper I delved into the ideographic aspect of the study, however, the more I discovered that the results wouldn't be cut or dry. Charlie was saying, and Dean blinked and stared down in his hands, wondering how long he had been zoning out and when Ash's part of the presentation had ended. But he figured it was understandable in his case, because holy fuck, he had assumed him and Cass were mates, yeah, but Jesus. They hadn't even talked about their favorite foods or books or movies. 
Now they had to delve right into You're My Genetic Soulmate on their first fucking date. Dean's shoulders were tightly raised around his ears, adrenaline pumping, feeling strangely trapped on stage. But then there were warm fingers rubbing soothing circles into his wrist. Cass. Regardless of how they met, how their bodies apparently wanted them to be together, this was still Cass. And that still meant something. If Dean was being honest with himself, that meant everything. As an example of how the results of this study greatly varied, let me begin with pair number one. Charlie said, her tone almost conversational now. She drifted her hand to point to the first table, where Crowley and the standoffish red-headed Alpha in the leather were sitting. Dean noticed that their chairs were scooted as far away as possible from one another, their outer knees squished against the legs of the table. Crowley and Abaddon, Abby for short, shared an exact match of Z chromosome 6.66. Genetically, Ash's original hypothesis was all the matching pairs would eventually be mated. And while this pair's nonverbal reaction to each other was certainly intense and immediate, it certainly wasn't, uh, very favorable. Charlie cleared her throat nervously, as if either the Alpha or Omega might contest her assessment. Surprisingly, neither did. Pair number one made many incorrect assumptions regarding each other. Despite being very perceptive and strategic individuals, most of the socioeconomic conjectures they made about each other were totally false. It would be difficult to measure the accuracy of their interpretations personality-wise, but both were highly negative, particularly once the scent blockers were removed. Charlie almost looked embarrassed to be airing out the vendetta between the two, but neither seemed to share in Charlie's apprehension. It was possible that after four months of the case study, Dean was just really fucking good at understanding body language, but he had seen the hatred between those two the moment they sat down. He sort of hated that Crowley dude as well, and they had barely talked. None of this shocked him, really. Abby, would you read the highlighted excerpt of your written feedback, including the date? It's located in the front flap of your folder. Abby was projecting some heavy, hostile alpha vibes, and it made Dean's eyes water. He instinctively leaned closer into Cass, hoping the sweet sugar aroma would overpower his senses. With a flourish, Abby opened her folder and shot Charlie a sharp look then laughed without humor and pulled the microphone towards her. May 31st, 2019. Session number three. Crowley is a pompous ass. She read in a flat voice. He seems to believe he's charming and suave, but his facade only makes him look weak. If I had to guess, he's probably the type of frail, pathetic man who would be useless in a crisis and afraid to get his hands dirty. The reaction was immediate, both on and off the stage. Dean and Cash shared a sort of flabbergasted, raised eyebrow look, while the audience buzzed audibly with the impending drama. Dean had to give it to Charlie. The whole situation was awkward and weird as fuck, but damn if it wasn't good entertainment. No need to flatter me, dear, Crowley said dryly into the microphone. By the way, that accent. Canadian? Interesting. I suppose the stereotypes we've heard about our neighbors to the north and their amenable nature is dreadfully misinformed. Abby crossed her arms and chuckled, the sound ringing hollow. I should have known you'd have a pretentious English accent. Wow. 
Could you be any more predictable, Crowley? You're just another man with an inflated ego and sense of self-importance. And you're a greedy, pitiless she-demon who not even Satan himself could love. Crowley said, easy as breathing. Now that we're done stating the obvious, perhaps we can continue with Miss Bradbury's downright riveting presentation. Abby's chest was heaving, her hands wringing the folder together in aggravation. But before she could reply, Charlie thumped her microphone loudly with her pointer finger. Well, um, here we are, folks. A clear example about how an exact chromosome match could actually be considered a drawback. I had intended to share more evidence from the study, but in the interest of, well, everyone involved, we can move on to pair number two. To Dean's relief, and honestly slight disappointment, the interaction between the second pair was significantly less dramatic. Donna and Jody shared a Z chromosome of 9.13, and over the past four months had obviously become fast friends. When their scent blockers were removed, the two had just hugged and cried. Apparently Donna's scent reminded Jody of freshly rising dough, a household staple her late husband had baked every Sunday. The two women certainly seemed different in personality, but both were immensely likable, and when Charlie asked if they intended to maintain their friendship after the study, Donna instantly declared into the mic, Oh, you betcha! Still, Dean struggled to pay attention during the Donna and Jody segment. Halfway through, a realization had struck him, sudden and painful as a pinch. So far, neither of the pairs had been unveiled as potential true mates. So where did that leave him and Cass? Despite Ash's confident assumption about their shared chromosomes, maybe he had been wrong all along and that was the big reveal. Maybe Charlie was about to announce that none of them were mate material. And even though he had been vehemently against being with Cass for simply biological reasons, he couldn't deny that it made him defensive thinking anyone, even scientific research, might imply they didn't belong together. Nothing would keep him from pursuing this thing with Cass. Biology or anthropology, heaven or earth. Fuck it all. They would carve out their own destiny hand in hand. On to our last pair, Dean and Castiel, who share a Z chromosome 4.1. Charlie looked at them pleasantly, smiling down at them from her podium. This is why good research practices include sampling from the largest possible number of individuals for comparison. If I had just observed Dean and Castiel, I would have assumed that all unmated alpha and omega pairs with the shared Z chromosome are... Well, I'll let them explain. Dean felt his palm grow clammy. Sweaty, but he just gripped Cass's hand tighter. Castiel, would you read some of the excerpts I've highlighted for you? Of course, Castiel said quietly, and there it was, the deep baritone that made Dean's chest grow tight with affection. He had only heard Cass utter one word before, and it hadn't been enough. May never been enough, considering he had ever loved anyone's voice quite this much. Castiel lightly extracted his hand from Dean's grip and opened his folder, clearing his throat. He began to read. He read and read and read. Longer than any of the other pairs, Cass read. And Dean gazed at his alpha side profile. Chin high, skin chiseled white like marble, and the Omega physically shook at the sight of it. Because holy fucking shit, the things Cass had written about him. The things he was speaking into a microphone now for the whole goddamn world to hear. Dean may not survive it. 
May 17th, Session 1. So far, Dean seems to be a colorful and vivacious man. The eye contact today we made was quite substantial, if not intense and a little unsettling, but intriguing. I'll admit that from a first impression alone, I find him quite gorgeous. It's distracting. His uniform leads me to believe he works in a manual labor position of some sort, and the dirt on his hands implies that he works very hard at his job, whatever it is. I don't know exactly why, but I like Dean already. Very much. June 7th, Session 4 It's unnatural to sit in silence with anyone for this long, with this amount of concentration. It's unnerving, uncomfortable. It doesn't help that Dean's eyes are the most gorgeous shade of green shrouded in the most penetrating gaze I've ever experienced. He has to know what he's doing to me. He makes me breathless, which is a cliche I certainly never intended to write, let alone experience firsthand, but here I am. I'm developing. No, that's logical and impossible. I can't have feelings for someone I just met and haven't even spoken with. I just get the sense that there's something different about him. Something that draws me to him inexplicably. I haven't been able to think about much else, to be honest. I daydream about holding his hand. Touching his chin. Hearing his voice say my name. June 28th, Session 7. Hemingway. Dean read a Hemingway passage that was suggestive and, well, I wanted to kiss him. I wanted to kiss him very, very badly. July 12th, Session 9. Dean's the caregiver. I can tell by the way he holds himself the way he considers what I need above his own comfort or wishes. I am startled by this. It seems I have grown fiercely independent, even somewhat guarded as a result of cutting ties with my family. I never allow anyone to take care of me, not even Gabriel or Meg, especially not Gabriel or Meg. But Dean, it seems I would trust Dean enough to be vulnerable in this way, to lay myself bare for him, I wonder what that means. July 26th, Session 11. We scented each other today and I can barely think straight. The bursting spice of him. The zing of pepper. I could taste him on my tongue. Feel him on my skin. The air around us making me dizzy and ravenous. I've never had such a strong reaction to any scent ever. Without the blockers, it is very difficult to control my urges to be with Dean in a biblical sense. Very difficult. August 2nd, Session 12. I'll be the first to admit that things have gotten out of hand. Last Friday, I ran into Dean quite serendipitously. Turns out our brothers were trying to set us up, and Dean's brother is a student in my class. It was a night of extraordinary revelations. We kissed, which was better than any dream I could have conjured up. I want to do it again and again, again. It was the best kiss of my life. 
but now Dean is withdrawn and he came into the session with a black eye and won't explain why. He seems upset with me and the prospect of not fixing things has me terrified. I know he's a very stubborn man with a mind that's difficult to change. I'm worried I might have lost him before I even really had him. August 9th, Session 13. Let things be okay. Please, please let things be okay. August 23rd, Session 15. My rut. My rut hit without warning, which my doctor believes is my proximity to Dean and how our bodies are instinctively attempting to mate. Dean and I did share an intimate moment together in the bathroom, the details of which I'll leave out unless you require them for scientific reasons. But now I'm finally back home and in the middle of my rut and I can barely think straight. Gabriel is actually typing this email for me. Without the company of my Omega over the next few days, I fear I'm incapacitated. Well, technically he isn't my Omega unless he wants to be. Which is a conversation we should certainly have once we're finally allowed to speak. I don't mean to come off as possessive. It's just very hard to maintain civility when I'm in this state. My need for Dean is constant. A deep hunger and yearning that will never be sated. Oh God, I need him. I need him. I need. September 6th, Session 16. Dean Winchester. Dean Winchester. Where to begin? If these are my closing remarks, I suppose I should tell you everything I've learned about Dean over the past four months. Dean is very perceptive and kind, while also being sporadically immature and mischievous. He has a wonderful sense of humor. He values his family, specifically his relationship with his brother, over anything else. He has secret geeky tendencies when it comes to film and comic books which I find quite endearing. He can often be very laid back and charismatic, but a moment later pig-headed and impulsive. He is one of the most complex and infuriating men I've ever met, and it is becoming increasingly clear that my life will never be the same. There is a very good chance that I have fallen in love with him. Distantly, in the farthest corners of his mind, Dean knew there were other people around, nearly a dozen on stage, a good hundred or two in the audience. But it was all peachy keen as far as he was concerned, because no one mattered in that moment except for Cass. It would have taken a literal, physical force to make him look away from the Alpha at this point, and he realized, with a sort of delayed self-awareness, that his eyes were wet. He was tearing up at the intensity of this whole thing even fighting a sense of vertigo, and fuck if that wasn't a little embarrassing. He wasn't some weak little Omega, and he wasn't afraid of earning himself a dozen more black eyes as long as he got the point across to anybody who thought otherwise. But when the pad of Castiel's thumb edged to the corner of his eye, wiping a stray tear away, he finally understood. Understood that being with an Alpha, his Alpha, wasn't about being taken care of. Instead, they would be partners who took care of each other. The power dynamics weren't imbalanced in the way he subconsciously always feared, because he trusted Cass, and that trust would only grow with time. 
He leaned into the touch then, no longer feeling self-conscious for the tears, for the show of emotion. Though, if anyone but Cass decided to point out his crying, he was definitely not above kicking someone in the balls. Especially if that ass-clown Crowley decided to toss his two cents in. Dean chuckled to himself at the image and Cass legitimately beamed, as if Dean's laugh was the best thing since sliced frickin' bread. Really, this whole thing was getting too cute to put on display for the whole anthropology department, and his baby brother. He needed not to have a bunch of eyes on him as he processed everything that was happening between them. Uh, hey, Charlie, he said into the microphone. Dean had no idea if he was allowed to interrupt mid-presentation, but hell, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Permission to leave. Charlie looked startled for a moment. The pair of them doing a French exit had obviously not been a possible option on our master plan, but she grinned in approval, her academic facade slipping for just a moment. Go for it. Dean literally didn't have to be told twice. He realized in hindsight he could have tried for a smoother exit, but fuck it. Their absence would be noticed whether it was quiet or not. The feet of his chair scratched across the hard wood, and the heel of his borrowed dress shoes clicked annoyingly against the polished floor. Still, he was already up on his feet, dragging Cass by the hand before the Alpha seemed to know what was happening. He trailed a few steps behind Dean, their joined hands swinging like a jostled bridge, until they stepped a few yards behind the thick curtain. There was still enough light from the stage for them to regard each other fully, and they faced each other wearing mirrored expressions of joy and excitement and disbelief. He tried to look at Cass as though it was the first time all over again. The prominent eyebrows, the startling blue, the handsome nose, the chin that dimpled on occasion. Dean's hands wandered around his alpha's face as if it was just another way of conducting conversation, as if he could learn everything he needed to know by touch alone. Cass closed his eyes with a thick flutter of lashes and Dean knew that, soon, very, very soon, he would spend hours touching every inch of this man's body. When his hands dropped to Cass's waist, slipping a hand beneath his navy suit jacket, the Alpha finally opened his eyes again. Hello, Dean. His voice was a low and steady rumble and Dean felt a shiver of something like electricity run through him. Hey, Cass, he said breathlessly and then chuckled softly. You have no freaking idea how good it feels to finally say that out loud. I think I might have some idea, Cass pointed out with a smirk, hands moving to the small of Dean's curved back. They were standing close now, barely a breath apart, eyes unwavering from one another. Distantly, thanks to the decent audio equipment, Dean could still hear Charlie's assessment of the results she had gathered. If it's possible to confirm through genetic and cultural study, I feel confident concluding that Dean and Castiel are true mates, Charlie said matter-of-factly. Follow-up with the pair will better confirm this, but all the evidence I collected over the past four months makes an incredibly strong case. To me, this is not just a result of biology, but choice and chance something not even social science can quantify. Wrapped in the dim light of the curtain, Cass's hand traveled to Dean's lip. Dean parted for him without hesitation, licking his lips and the edge of Castiel's thumb. The Alpha gasped gently, 
and Dean felt his heart beat, loud and forceful as a sledgehammer, making his limbs shake with nerves. He had never wanted to kiss anyone as badly as he wanted to kiss Cass. Therefore, we have determined that an exact match of your Z chromosome does not guarantee successful or lifelong mating. However, despite limited communicative contact, the matching extraneous chromosomes guarantees an intense social reaction may be established. This could be friendship, hatred, or love. Lips. Lips everywhere. On his nose, his neck, his chin. Cass was scenting him in a wild frenzy pushing him up against the nearby wall. They were cloaked in darkness now, and Dean fidgeted with the buttons of Cass's blazer, slipping it off his shoulders without any discussion. Cass's thigh was between Dean's parted legs, and he barely resisted the urge to rut against him, his cock already semi-hard with little to no provocation. Fuck, he was really this gone on Castiel. The realization felt surreal. This could revolutionize the way alphas and omegas interact moving forward. For instance, if science allows you to more readily know the exact genetic makeup of your Z chromosome, you could know ahead of time that the person you're meeting up with on a dating app could be one of three things, a friend, a lover, or a foe. Either way, our study would suggest a strong reaction depending on environmental factors, such as upbringing, personality, and preference. Dean couldn't take it anymore. The anticipation, the waiting. He pulled Castiel's face between his hands and pushed them together. A closed mouth slide of wet and rough lips that made him moan louder than he should. He was overtaken by the scent of them. Cass's sugary sweetness, his own burning heat. It was deliciously intoxicating. And it occurred to him that together, they tasted like strawberry habanero jelly his new favorite flavor as of four months ago. A fucking course they did. You know, Cass whispered, pulling away and panting. At some point, we should actually have a conversation. Sure, Dean said, sucking a deep mark on a spot of Cass's neck that would be hidden by a starched collar. Whatever, whenever. Dean... Cass said, sounding amused, if not a little admonishing. We already know we can do this quite well. Oh. Cass's earlobe was between Dean's teeth and he licked over the nip before setting his sights on Castiel's chin, leaving a trail of sloppy kisses. Dean made long work of it, hands gripping the curve of Cass's ass. But once his lips finally reached Cass's, he put an inch of space between them, hovering coyly as the Alpha tried to surge forward for another kiss. You're right, Cass. Dean's eyes flashed down to Cass's desperate lips, and then back to his hooded eyelids, laying it on thick now. We should probably talk. Castiel huffed, eyeing him enigmatically. So I was right, he said lightly. You are insufferable. Dean laughed then, fully and without reservation. Yeah, this was going to work just fine. In conclusion, when it comes to the infamous true mate story between alphas and omegas, well... Charlie's voice was still drifting in from the speakers, but Dean could barely process what she was saying. The rake of Cass's thumb against his collarbone was all it took for every distraction to evaporate. He felt pliant again, ready for whatever his alpha had in mind. 
He surged with expectancy, excitement, lust, love. Much of it is up to free will, Charlie said in closing. Just as it should be. The applause was thunderous, which was Dean's last coherent thought before he pulled Castiel in closer, fingering his tie with a strong and unyielding grip, and kissed him. A lot of hours to occupy, it was easy when I didn't know you yet, things I'd have to Chapter 6. Epilogue Castiel cracked open the door to his apartment, reaching for the nearby lamp. The yellow glow colored every inch of his tiny studio. And by tiny, he meant tiny. The kind of place where you could take two steps forward to be in the living room, and two steps back and collide with the discount mattress crowding his bedroom. He never invited people over here. It was the right amount of space for one, but a squeeze for two, and impossible when hosting a crowd. Yet here he was, dropping his suit jacket off at the coat rack, closing the front door, and watching Dean enter his place for the first time. It's nice, Dean commented, and Castiel couldn't tell if the Omega was being polite, or if he actually thought so. He still didn't know enough about Dean's inflections, his various tones and cadences, to say one way or another. Not knowing this bothered Castiel. In some ways, he felt like he had known Dean for years. But in other, very real and unnerving ways, it felt like they were on a first date. I'm barely ever here, Cass replied flippantly, waving off the compliment. It's more of a place where I sleep and store books. Dean was hanging up his own navy blazer when Castiel mentioned the books. His eyes went wide, searching, as if he hadn't noticed yet just how many there were. He had three tall bookshelves and two smaller ones, none of the furniture matching, of course, Goodwill, yard sale, and curbside finds. And even then, even then there were more books stacked on the floor, on every end table, even on the kitchen counter. Huh, Dean said, smirking. Got plans to open your own library, Cass? Castiel flushed, not used to the teasing, to the deep bass of Dean's voice calling him Cass so casually, as if they had done this a thousand times before. Had a conversation, a date, stood together in this apartment. Pretty sure Sammy would have a field day in here, Dean continued, the pads of his fingers skating across a row of hardback nonfiction titles. Castiel had his bookshelves organized by genre, then author, and arranged by size and color, of course. He was no monster. Sam is perhaps the brightest student in my class, he said conversationally. Do you think I could convince him to major in literature? Dean shrugged. Dunno. After he graduates, he's already thinking law school. Says he'll probably do economics or political science to start. Dean slid his hands into the pockets of his slacks, shoulders turned in. There was a pause, a beat of awkward silence that neither of them knew how to fill. This was their first real conversation, and he felt... nervous. Castiel could easily talk all night about how innately intelligent Sam was, 
or any other aspect of his daily life as a professor and a Ph.D. student. But there was already a clear wave of hesitation coming from Dean about the current subject. He cleared his throat and racked his brain, searching for something else to say. "'Can I get you some coffee?' he asked faintly. He had no idea how to host someone, let alone his biological soulmate he had kissed several times and then even had a frenzied rut orgasm with once, but never an actual date or conversation. They had certainly done all this backwards. "'Never say no to a good cup of coffee.' Dean gave him a lopsided grin and some of the anxiety clawing its way around Castiel's insides began to lose its potency. He could do this. They could do this. No promises on how good it'll be, he warned, busying himself in the compact kitchen. Gabriel had splurged last Christmas and gifted him a Keurig, justifying it because Cass was never home enough to drink a whole pot. It was a nice gesture, but an expensive habit he didn't think he could afford to maintain. Besides... He usually preferred the fresh coffee he scavenged from the English department kitchen or the free refills he received at the bakery. Cass began fiddling with the latch of the coffee machine. The obstinate front flap refused to close. When he heard Dean speak again, I'll be honest, Cass. Dean was still staring at Castiel's rows and rows of books, looking apprehensive. I was shit at school, so all this? Academic stuff? I'm... Uh, he scratched the back of his neck and laughed self-deprecatingly. Intimidated. I'm a fish out of water here, man. Castiel was simultaneously panicked at the thought of making Dean worry, filled with compassion for this man who was bearing himself so openly, and defensive that the Omega couldn't see how naturally intelligent he was. Dean, he said, hoping to convey this array of emotions in one word alone. I would never want to make you uncomfortable. The university is a big part of my life, but it's not the only part. Not the important part. He temporarily gave up on the Keurig and raised his head, looking at Dean directly. He had his hands in his pockets still and seemed to be processing Castiel's words. His expression softening once the Alpha met his eyes. But for the record... I think you are incredibly smart. Dean opened his mouth to argue, but evidently thought the better of it. He examined Castiel closely, not only his face and clothes, but his whole apartment, trying to make sense of the man he had essentially been silently dating for four months. Castiel allowed this without question, figuring they were used to it by now, staring at each other wordlessly, intently, like standing in front of a work of art and trying to decipher its meaning. Eventually, Dean's scrutiny dropped to the half-open and abandoned coffee maker on the kitchen counter. He looked back up at Cass affectionately and walked towards the kitchen. Let me, he said softly, elbow grazing Castiel's as he made space for himself at the counter. He fiddled with the mechanism the same way Cass had done then peered closer for a moment before pulling down a smaller latch in the back and successfully closing the top. He slid the mug under the spout and pressed the brew button, turning back to look at Cass, who had decided then and there that Dean Winchester was an absolute marvel. Now I'm the one who's intimidated. He mumbled good-naturedly, and Dean snorted. So you'll keep me around for my handiness. Good to know. 
Dean mused jokingly. Rather than respond appropriately with a laugh or a grin, Castiel tilted his head, thinking. Dean seemed to do this often, refuse compliments, make light of his intelligence and talents. It was the sort of thing Castiel hadn't been able to pick up on during their previous time together. I'll keep you around because you're wonderful, he said simply, thinking of all the other adjectives he felt were synonymous with Dean Winchester. You're also generous, clever, thoughtful, diligent, unpredictable, creative, kind. Jesus, Cass. Not to mention, as the coffee stream came to a loud, dripping stop, Castiel slid his hand around and cupped Dean's cheek and squeezed, firmly. You have the best ass in the whole damn county. Dean chuckled loudly and flushed bright red, leaning in closer to Castiel and looking at him through long lashes. Their shared smile slowly faded into something more significant, more heated, Dean's eyes flicking to Castiel's lips and back up again. And then he was wrapping his arms around Cass's back and yanking him forward, their lips meeting. They hadn't kissed since leaving campus, having driven in their separate cars straight to Castiel's apartment, and it had barely been thirty minutes tops, but Castiel had already missed this. Missed the feel of Dean's body against him, under him. The kiss was intentionally passionate, as many of Dean's kisses often were, his tongue already seeking entrance between Cass's parted lips. Castiel crowded against him, pushing against the counter, hands sliding up from Dean's tight ass to his arching back. Dean moaned as the bouquet of their shared scent, a piquant, sharp, mouth-watering sweetness, filled the room and made them dizzy. Summoning all the willpower he had, Castiel pushed a hand against Dean's chest, they were both panting, and Dean dived in for another kiss, but Castiel shook his head. Your coffee's getting cold, he pointed out, and Dean huffed a sarcastic sigh. Huh, he muttered as Castiel took a step backwards to give him space to retrieve his coffee. Looks like I fell for the only alpha in the history of the world who has no interest in. He made a suggestive wave of the hand between him and Cass and the Alpha couldn't contain his surprise. That was why Dean assumed he had pulled away? Dean, I assure you. He struggled to keep his voice even, because any affirmative he spoke would ultimately be an understatement. He was dying to be intimate with Dean. I am very much interested in that. With you. Didn't look that way when you locked me out of the bathroom, Dean reasoned taking his first sip of coffee. Uh, you're right. Not great coffee. That's not fair, Castiel replied, not letting Dean's first comment go unaddressed. I was in my rut. I could have hurt you. You wouldn't have. I couldn't take that chance. Not with you, Dean. Not with how you make me feel even when I'm not in a rut. I'm... He took a deep breath, trying to put it into words. Different around you. Unpredictable and out of my mind. Which is exactly how I felt when you shut me out that day. Dean had put his mug on the counter with a loud clink. Out of my freaking mind. You passed out in my arms, Cass, and then you wouldn't even let me take care of you. I was trying to protect you. And I was trying to protect you. Castiel threw up his hands, exasperated. 
Are we seriously arguing about who has more of a right to protect the other? Dean opened his mouth wide, another grievance on the edge of his tongue. But then Castiel's comments seemed to sink in, momentarily stunning him. He put his hands on his hips, glancing down at his dress shoes. When he glanced back up, he was laughing. We're idiots. Half hour into this whole talking thing and we're already fighting. He was borderline belly laughing now and Castiel crossed his arms, not amused. Hey, want to celebrate our first fight with a really awesome kitchen makeout sesh? Castiel couldn't help it. He rolled his eyes and chuckled, a slow grin growing on his face. His self-righteous anger began to fade as quickly as it appeared. You are an odd and frustrating man. He couldn't keep the fondness and incredulity out of his voice. No, I don't want to make out with you. Not right now. I want to talk to you. Something I've been dying to do for months now. Oh, Dean mumbled, as if this had just occurred to him. He was leaned casually over the kitchen counter and shrugged. Why didn't you say so? Before Castiel could give his immediate retort, What do you think I've been trying to do this whole time? The Omega turned abruptly and started heading towards the opposite corner of the apartment, tugging the top drawer of Castiel's dresser open. Hey, I'm borrowing some sweatpants and a shirt, because fuck these matching suits. We look like gay wonder twins. Dean rummaged through without luck before Castiel came behind him, shooing him a step behind so he could slide open the third drawer. He found his best pair of sweats and a worn Rolling Stones t-shirt, which Dean seemed to approve of, and handed them both to his guest. Surprisingly, Dean took his change of clothes into the bathroom and let Castiel change into jeans and sweatshirt by himself in the bedroom. He supposed Dean was taking this seriously, their time to talk. He couldn't help but beam at the thought. He honestly couldn't wait to learn everything there was to know about this man. Castiel started out using his favorite conversation technique, the one he learned from Terry Gross on NPR. Tell me about yourself, he said lightly once they were sitting in the living room. Dean on the love seat, Castiel in the armchair. Dean looked significantly more comfortable now that he wasn't wearing a suit, and he snorted, rubbing a hand against his nose. He instantly made fun of Castiel's question, because of course he did, which prompted Cass to admit he was borrowing an interview approach from the radio host of Fresh Air. Terry Gross says you should never ask anyone specific questions if you're trying to get to know them, Castiel explained, which Dean seemed to find mildly interesting, so he continued. Sure, you can ask about work or family or hobbies, but if you simply say, tell me about yourself, then that person will decide which aspects of their life are most important to them, and you can actually get to know them better. Dean seemed to find that fascinating, and before he knew it, Castiel was downloading a dozen or so of his favorite podcasts into Dean's phone. Dean said he would start listening to Cass's recommendations while he did the on-campus landscaping, with the firm promise to never, ever tell Benny. He'd never let me live it down if he caught me listening to NPR, Dean grumbled. That prompted Castiel to ask Dean about his co-workers and his job, which Dean apparently enjoyed just fine but didn't consider it a long-term career. What would you like to do? Castiel asked, genuinely curious. I've never really thought about it. Dean admitted, chuckling in a soft and humorless way. The goal's always been to take care of Sammy, you know. But then, 
The big old brainiac got himself a full ride to Stanford. I wanted to let him go by himself, have the whole dorm life experience or whatever. Buddy asked me to move to California with him, and I didn't have anything in Lawrence worth sticking around for. No other family? Castiel asked. The Keurig coffee abandoned. At some point in the last half hour, Castiel had fixed the kettle and made them both chai tea with milk and honey. Dean had insisted he wasn't a frou-frou-drink kind of guy, yet his cup of tea was almost gone. None. Dean answered, taking another gulp of his tea. Castiel waited patiently for him to continue, so Dean sighed and spoke again. My mother was killed in a house fire, and my dad... Well, let's just say we're estranged. Haven't seen him in years. That's awful, Dean. Castiel said, and he meant it. He knew what it was like to be separated from family, to protect yourself from those whose presence was harmful to you. It was a necessary evil in both of their cases, it seemed. But that didn't make their situations easy. Dean asked Castiel about his own family situation, repeating back what he had garnered from the Alpha silent show-and-tell experiment during the case study. Dean knew the gist of it already, but Castiel filled in some of the blanks. How him and his brother had moved out here together. How they'd lived together the first year until Gabe grew serious about his girlfriend and Castiel got his own place. How Gabe had coerced him within an inch of his life to join the fraternity. A frat boy, hmm? Dean smirked and raised his eyebrows. Never would have pegged you for a beer keg kind of guy. That's because I'm not, Castiel said dryly. It's an honors, graduate, student-only co-ed fraternity. There are very few kegs involved. Sounds thrilling, Dean replied just as sarcastically. Y'all go partying every Thursday in the library? BYOB stands for Bring Your Own Bookmark. Castiel laughed, his face covered in a wry grin. You'll just have to come with me on Thursday and see. Though I should mention, entrance into the party requires shotgunning a beer of Gabe's choice. Dean's eyebrows raised, seemingly pleasantly surprised. What kind of beer are we talking here? If he likes you, whatever we have extra of, usually coarse light. If he doesn't, well... He gave Dean a mischievous leer. Natty light. Jesus, Dean grimaced, polishing off the last of his tea. Good thing Gabe likes me. Castiel shrugged sheepishly, as if he really didn't know. In reply, Dean tossed a throw pillow at his head that bounced against his forehead and fell to the floor. That was... Castiel paused for dramatic effect. A mistake. He launched the pillow back at Dean, catching his chin. Dean retaliated with an even larger decorative pillow, this one covered in tiny brown buttons that felt somewhat annoying when throttled against Castiel's head. And then, it was all-out war. They were lying in the center of Castiel's apartment ten minutes later, surrounded by the pillows from the couch and the chair and the bed, every available weapon they had successfully launched at one another. They were both panting and grinning, out of breath, and when Dean threaded their fingers together and squeezed, Castiel tried to remember a time when he was this happy. But I better be quiet now Tired, wasting my breath Carrying on 
They stayed up for nearly two days straight, just talking. It reminded Castiel of a prepubescent crush, their shared desire to stay up all night long, to need no other entertainment but the company of one another. Around 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, their rumbling stomachs took them to a 24-hour diner, where Dean explained his obsession with all things breakfast food, and Cass added it to an ever-growing list of quirky, cute things he loved about his Omega. They took a walk afterwards in Castiel's favorite park, Meyer Basin, so he could show Dean the view of the bell towers, the verdantly green lawn, the trails where he went running. They sat across from each other at a picnic table and swapped stories about their brothers, like the time Sam had been stuck in an elevator with a clown and nearly soiled himself, or when Gabe had faked his own death to avoid a group of thugs who were after him. Dean and Castiel were rolling with laughter by the end of it, laughing so loudly that all the nearby students who were studying shot them exasperated glares. Taking the hint, the pair walked hand in hand back to the Impala. Should we head back to my house? Castell asked hopefully. It had been nearly 24 hours already, but he wasn't ready to say goodbye to Dean just yet. Dean looked hesitant, though, and Castell tried to steel himself, to accept that they would eventually have to spend some time apart. I really ought to go do laundry and check in on Sammy. He gave Castiel a shy glance. You could come over, if you want. Castiel thought about the offer. He should really do his own laundry, clean his own apartment, use up his groceries before they spoiled, but... I'd love that, he said, and Dean beamed and turned up the radio. Castiel felt a little apprehensive about developing a personal relationship with Sam, but now that summer courses were over and fall semester was in full swing, the college sophomore was no longer considered Castiel's student. If he intended to stay in Dean's life, which was really no question at this point, Castiel knew that their relationship would require spending a good amount of time with each other's brothers. Thankfully, he liked Sam, truly and genuinely, and looked forward to getting to know him better outside the classroom. When they entered Dean's spacious apartment, Sam was sitting in his boxers on the couch, playing Minecraft on his computer. Uh, hey guys, he mumbled, seemingly somewhat embarrassed by his current state once he noticed Castiel was in tow. Before the professor could apologize for coming over unannounced, Dean tossed his keys onto the nearby hook. Yeah, uh... Cass is my boyfriend now, so he's going to come over whenever. He told Sam dismissively, walking toward the kitchen counter and flipping through a stack of mail. This was news to Castiel, and he couldn't help feeling a rush of joy at the term. Boyfriend. Maybe put some pants on, or don't, whatever. I don't really care. Sam rolled his eyes, shut his computer mid-game, and collected the stray garbage from his earlier snack, a bag of veggie straws and a can of Fresca before heading towards his bedroom and shutting the door. Castiel looked at Dean, who was flipping open his cable bill, and frowned at him. I'm not sure you handled that properly, he said whenever he heard the latch of Sam's bedroom door close. Oh, yeah? Dean's eyebrows arched, voice dripping with skepticism. So I should ask my baby brother's permission before having company at my place? It's both of yours, isn't it? Even if he isn't paying rent, Dean, 
He's only 19, barely an adult, and the only parent he's ever really known is changing things, bringing something new into his life, both of your lives. He sighed, looking at the tension building around Dean's neck and rubbed the muscles faintly with his thumb. Dean was taut and rigid, but relaxed slowly under Castiel's touch. From behind, he wrapped a hand around the span of his Omega shoulders, nestling his head into the crook of the other man's neck. I just don't want to disturb your life. I don't want to make things hard for you. Dean chuckled, holding Cass's forearm and swaying their hips together lightly. That's nice and all, Cass, but things have changed. We've had one real day together, but I already can't imagine things going back to the way they were. There was a beat, a pause of hesitation, and Dean spun around in Castiel's grip, facing him until they were nose to nose. Can you? Castiel smiled, cupping Dean's chin and caressing his cheek with his thumb. No, Dean, I never want to go back to a time when I can't talk to you, touch you. He nuzzled closer, their lips sweeping together gently. Kiss you. Good, Dean said, breathless. Because I have no intention of letting you go. After trading a few lazy kisses, Dean broke away to go knock on Sam's door, closing it behind him. Castiel wandered around the apartment, taking in the domesticity, the feeling of warmth and family that covered every inch of the space. In a flash that made his heart race, he imagined him and Dean having a home of their own one day, a place they owned together that Dean could pour every part of himself into. Despite the Omega's occasionally gruff exterior, Castiel knew now it was largely a facade. He saw the potted plant that had been carefully watered, the pantry overflowing with groceries, the framed photo of their mother on the mantel. He knew what these small touches meant, knew the love and reverence that went into them. And he loved Dean a little bit more, noticing these things. The brothers exited the bedroom a few minutes later, Sam now wearing jeans and a hoodie. He seemed much more himself, smiling and telling Castiel hello, and Dean clapped his brother on the shoulder and headed to the kitchen, calling, Spaghetti okay, Cass? Spaghetti sounds wonderful, Castiel replied earnestly. Dean refused to let him help, the stubborn man that he was. So Sam and Castiel sat in the living room discussing Sam's current class schedule in such painstaking detail that Dean eventually hollered out, Hey, nerd patrol, soup's on. They ate together at the dining room table, which was an unfamiliar experience to Castiel at this point. His apartment was so small he couldn't even fit a bistro table. The pasta was delicious, the bread drenched in butter, and the marinara sauce was simmering hot with a hint of red pepper, reminding Castiel of Dean's scent. The Omega had a remarkable aroma that he was getting used to being imbued with, familiar as the hand on his knee and the sight of Dean laughing as he swirled his spaghetti. There were traces of sauce smearing the corners of his mouth and shadows under his eyes from their shared lack of sleep. But sitting beside him now, Castiel thought no person had ever looked so beautiful. Maybe I have a problem But that's not what I wanted to say I'd prefer to say nothing I got a long way to go I'm getting further 
It was surprising, really, how quickly they'd established a new routine, how easily they had slipped into the fabric of each other's everyday life. They had lunched together two to three times a week on campus, whenever Castiel could pull himself away from his mountain of grading. Fridays and Saturdays were date night, and Dean usually spent the night at Cass's place. And on Wednesdays, Castiel was invited to family dinner. It was an unremarkable Wednesday night, three weeks later when it happened. Sam was taking Jessica to a concert that night, so they were free to spend some time at Cass's place instead of their usual family time. Dean came over after work to fix his boyfriend's dishwasher, which was old and on its last leg. Castiel didn't care about repairing the appliance, but Dean had insisted in that thoughtfully persistent way that brokered no argument. Castiel was thinking about ordering them pizza whenever he rounded the corner, having been instructed to go grab a pair of pliers from the trunk of the Impala, and Dean was bent over, ass up and presenting, tight and round and simply there. The bottom of his undershirt was riding up, and Castiel stood frozen in his tracks, appreciating the sliver of bare skin he spotted. Dean's work trousers were already rumpled and dusted from working all day, and Castiel had the sudden urge to make him dirtier, filthy, to strip Dean of all his clothes and mark every inch of his uncovered body. Cass, what are you... The Alpha didn't draw Dean from inside the dishwasher as much as yank him, grasping his middle and then tugging his hand, pulling him to his feet. Dean was sweating, staggered, completely dumbfounded when Castiel kissed him, full and wet and forcefully. They had shared many memorable kisses over the past few weeks, even traded blowjobs whenever Dean spent the night. But the sense of urgency, of need, was new and sharp and almost dire. Dean pulled away from the kiss, still seeming confused. Cass, the dishwasher. Leave it, he growled and dived back in, holding Dean's chin to him with cupped hands and licking the entrance of his lips. Dean was inundated in his usual spicy musk, but there was also something earthy and warm in his scent, soil and sunshine from where he had spent all day outside. Castiel imagined how they must look together, the pale and awkward professor, the tan and charming handyman. He knew the phrase married up didn't quite apply to them, not yet anyways. But he felt as though he had already, in every regard, been given a mate that was far too good for him. A mate he wanted to make his, officially. Dean. He pulled away, glancing down at his feet and feeling suddenly uncertain. They hadn't talked about it since that day, over a month ago outside the roadhouse, the first time they had kissed. For weeks now, the word mate had been like an unspoken itch under Castiel's skin, a song he couldn't quite get out of his head. He never wanted to rush Dean, to push him into making a commitment that he wasn't ready for. But they had known each other for five months, and spent every waking moment they could together. And Charlie had practically proclaimed them soulmates in front of two hundred people, and... Hey, Dean whispered, pulling their hips in closer, his tone amused. What's going on in that head of yours? Castiel licked his lips unconsciously, and Dean tracked the movement with interest. Dean... I want. Dean's thumb traced Cass's bottom lip, seemingly transfixed by the wet plumpness of it. What do you want? Castiel struggled to find the words, 
knowing nothing was quite meaningful enough for what he wanted from Dean, for what he was asking for. So he tilted his head and kissed the curved spot of Dean's neck, the soft and subtle patch of skin, the place where a mating bite would go. He kissed and sucked until he wondered if the skin might turn purple, and then Dean seemed to understand. He pulled back with such ferocity that Castiel was startled by it, eyes wide with emotion. Yes, he said without a trace of doubt, and then, more breathlessly, voice trembling, Yes, Alpha. And then they were kissing again, quick and sloppy and feverish, Castiel pulling them both backward several steps until they reached his bed. They flopped on the mattress, still pressed against each other, the Omega grinding the outline of his erection against Cass's upper thigh. A rumble of excitement escaped his lips, and Castiel reached his leg around and flipped their positions, staring into the dazed and hooded eyes of the man beneath him and wondering how he had gotten this lucky. Despite the heat between them, he took a moment to gently caress the pad of his thumb against Dean's cheekbones, petting his freckles and beaming down at him. You're beautiful, he whispered reverently, not even intending to say it out loud, but that was the power this man had over him. The influence of his presence, his being, his scent, was all at once tremendously overwhelming and enormously freeing. Each and every day, Castiel's words were careful and measured, thoughtful and guarded. But with Dean, with Dean he could just be. Dean pitched himself up on his elbows, arms enveloping Cass on either side, and held them both steady as he reached up for another kiss. They stayed like that for several minutes, Cass straddling his lap, while their hips sunk into a continuous rhythm, kissing and panting and tightening their grip, the tinted front of their pants rubbing together in maddening friction. Eventually, Castiel had the sudden urge to coyly lick Dean's nipple, but realized with some irritation that they were still wearing clothes. His fingers began to fumble with the front buttons of Dean's work uniform, but the process was too slow. Waiting was practically painful, and he growled, unbuttoning the first few and then tugging with all his pent-up alpha vigor. Dean yelped in astonishment as the remaining buttons were ripped from the fabric, scattering across the floor. He threw the offensive shirt in a wad at their feet, then spread Dean's bare chest beneath his fingers, laying the Omega down beneath him with some force. Dude, that shirt was like thirty dollars. Oh. Dean's words were halted as he moaned at the first lick to his hard pink nipple. Castiel swirled his tongue around in slow and seductive circles, mesmerized by the sounds Dean was making beneath him. When he peered up, the Omega had his eyes closed his hands fisting the bedsheets with urgency. He moved his attention to the other nipple, drawing an even more passionate reaction from the Omega beneath him. With a final flat-tongued lick, he pulled away and smirked. I'll sew them back on for you, he said, because even in his heavily aroused alpha state, he did feel bad for ruining one of Dean's work shirts. Dean cracked an eye open and grinned up at him. So you can rip my shirt during sex, then patch it up afterwards? He said cheekily. Got me an alpha who can do both. I can do much more than that. Castiel's voice was all suggestive rumbles and growls as he unbuttoned Dean's pants, though he pointedly didn't strip them off completely. 
His Omega was still speaking in complete sentences, and that just wouldn't do. He palmed Dean's erection through his dusty work pants, and Dean sighed at the contact, eyes slipping closed again as he squirmed against the mattress. After a few minutes, his hand wandered to the band of Dean's boxers, as if he were intending to slip his hand beneath and touch Dean's erection. But he altered his course at the last moment and tenderly pinched Dean's nipple instead. He yowled, more in surprise than pain, and Castiel lowered his mouth, soothing any sting away with opened-mouth kisses. He worked his way back up to Dean's neck and stayed there for a while, sucking fervent marks in a path leading up to where a mating bite would go. At the same time, he was straddling Dean's left thigh, grinding his erection against the sculpted muscle beneath him, his other hand teasingly brushing Dean's erection every few minutes. Fuck, Cass, Dean whispered, sounding significantly more ruffled now than he had fifteen minutes ago. You want everybody in town to play Connect the Dots Hickey edition? Not unless they have a death wish, Castiel said instantly, and Dean chuckled a little before his eyes settled on Cass's face. His gaze turned suggestive, those stunning eyes of his opaque with excitement and arousal, and Castiel nearly gasped at the intensity of his attention. Love you like this, Cass, he whispered, hand tucking into the bottom of Castiel's button-up shirt, seeking his bare skin. All alpha out and badass. It's sexy as fuck. Castiel hummed at the compliment as Dean removed the alpha shirt with shaking hands. Castiel let his shirt fall from his shoulders, tugging on the cuffed sleeves until he was finally bare from the waist up. Deciding he had teased his boyfriend enough for now, he stood up and slipped his trousers off, standing only in his boxers as Dean's eyes raked over him. He helped Dean wriggle out of his own, the Omega lifting his hips as Castiel pulled on the cuffs and slipped the pants off. Then he leapt back on the bed with Dean's arms outstretched towards him, touching his neck and shoulders and pulling him down closer. Castiel had other plans, though, giving his lips a frenzied sort of lick before pulling Dean's boxers down on his thighs, scooting on his heels further down the mattress, and taking the Omega's hard and aching cock into his mouth. Dean moaned outrageously as Castiel went deeper, making his mouth tight and suctioning. One hand steadied him while the other lightly fondled the Omega's balls, and he breathed through his nose, taking him down farther and farther. He swore he could see the muscles in Dean's abdomen tighten, his breathing loud and labored. When Castiel's lack of oxygen finally presented itself as a problem, he popped off with a robust suck, swiping his tongue around the head. Yes, Dean moaned, fingers threading into Castiel's hair and pulling. Your fucking mouth. He took the spit-slick and shiny cock into the heat of his mouth again, using his hand to stroke rhythmically, tight-fisting the shaft in reckless abandon. When Dean spoke again, there was a warning in his voice, an unstable whine on the edge of his lips. I want to come on your cock, Cass. I want to come on your knot. Oh, fuck, Cass. Cass, I'm gonna... Castiel continued pumping Dean's dick through his orgasm, the warm and salty taste of the Omega's cum heavy on his tongue. There were even hints of sharp and stinging pepper, traces of Dean's scent lacing the flavor of it. 
In a strange and possessive way, Castiel was hesitant to swallow it all, to let the taste and the feeling go. So when Dean finally recovered from the after-effects and pulled Castiel horizontal for a kiss, some of Dean's cum dribbled into the Omega's mouth. They both moaned at the sensation, the raw lewdness of the act, trading Dean's cum back and forth between their open lips. Castiel finally swallowed the last of it with a satisfied moan, licking the perimeter of Dean's plump, wet lips for a final taste. Jesus, Dean panted. You're a kinky little fucker. Judging by the hand snaking its way into the front of Castiel's boxers, he didn't seem to mind. On the contrary, really, considering he shivered once his fist wrapped around Castiel's thick and swollen cock. Still want you to fuck me, Cass. Of course, he breathed, distracted by Dean's hand expertly rubbing him. Even stroked dry, Castiel felt dangerously close to the edge already, so he squirmed away from Dean's ministrations. His veins felt nearly aflame with stimulation and anticipation, already imagining the sinful and unyielding heat of Dean's hole. But even more arousing was the Omega's fragrant slick making his mouth water. And Castiel maneuvered Dean to all fours and massaged the globes of his ass. This exact stance was what had sparked the whole night's events. Seeing Dean's nearly indecent position while working on the dishwasher, and Slick sliding from the Omega's constricted, untouched hole made Castiel feel wild with want and lust. Fuck Dean, he mumbled, realizing he rarely cursed, but words were stumbling from his lips now without any self-awareness. With both of his hands on either cheek, he kneaded and pulled until Dean's wet and leaking hole was exposed and ready. You're perfect. You're the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Without any further buildup, he licked a flat tongue up and down the surface of his boyfriend's damp hole, and Dean hissed at the sudden contact. Enjoying the reaction that it elicited, Castiel did it again and again, greedy when it came to giving Dean pleasure. He swallowed down the delicious slick, realizing he might never receive his fill, might never get enough of this. Of all things, Dean. He felt the Omega's body trembling when the tip of his tongue approached his entrance, and it was tight, unbelievably tight and velvety and hot on his tongue. Dean began pushing back against his tongue, begging, More, Cass, give me more. So Castiel obliged somehow keeping his face buried in Dean's ass while wetting his pointer finger. He fingered the Omega open, circling the tight space before inserting the first knuckle, still licking the border that dripped with slick and spit. Dean moaned unabashedly and thrashed above him, vocal in need just like the Alpha had always imagined he would be. The second finger tested Cass's patience immensely, watching the stretch of Dean's glistening and needy hole be filled and stretched. With a sight like that, he knew he wouldn't last long. But Dean was quivering and wobbly with desire within minutes, Dick erect again and fucking himself against Cass's fingers. Gas, he whined over and over, and Castiel's resolve to prep him even more began to crumble. Need your cock, need your knot, Alpha, please, please, Cass, please. Castiel was virtually spellbound by the pleas Dean was producing feeling dizzy and heady and out of control. He wanted to give his mate pleasure, and the thought reminded him of how tonight would end, 
with a bite on Dean's neck and his knot buried in his tautly stretched hole. From that thought alone, he moaned right along with Dean, feeling the intensity of their collision began to build. Dean was dripping with so much slick at this point that Castiel stroked his cock with it, sucking a finger into his mouth and savoring the taste, before lining himself up to Dean's hole and slipping in the tip. Dean keened, practically sobbing, and Castiel didn't feel a shred more stable. He wanted to move. He needed to move. But he inched in deeper and deeper until he bottomed out, and then watched and listened for Dean's reaction. The Omega was breathing fast, arms shaking, until he finally whimpered. Move, Cass, please, fuck. And then Castiel gripped his hips and pounded in and out, in and out, careful to never pull out completely because Dean was just that tight. The Alpha worried he might not fit again. Seeing Dean split wide open on his flushed and glistening cock made Castiel growl and increase his thrusts, setting an unbelievable pace that he knew would be impossible to maintain. Jesus fucking Christ, gonna come again, Dean moaned. I want to see you when I come. Dean had a point. No way was Castiel going to miss the expression on his Omega's face when he came for the first time on his cock. So he pulled out momentarily and helped Dean flip onto his back. When their eyes met, something changed in Castiel. The delicate flecks of gold and green, the eager and open expression on his Omega's face, his hand tracing the shell of Castiel's ear. When he entered Dean for the second time, the sex became less about lust and about something more important, more significant, more like love. They kissed with each thrust, panting and moaning in each other's mouths, and when he felt like he couldn't hold on any longer, Castiel skated his lips across Dean's neck. He reached his hand down, searching and fixated, fisting Dean's erection with erratic strokes. He had barely touched the Omega's cock a handful of times before Dean was spilling over Castiel's fingers, and the deep and throaty moan erupting from Dean's lips made Castiel finally tumble over the edge, not swelling and catching Dean's rim as he pumped his Omega full of cum. Castiel thought his heart might pound out of his chest as every ounce of blood traveled to his cock and he panted, engrossed in the sensation, borderline howling from the immensity of his orgasm. He felt out of body for a few moments before Dean jostled him, whimpering and begging. Come on, Cass, bite me. Please, Alpha. His senses returned to him and Castiel opened his mouth, taking a deep breath and inhaling their mixed scents along with the musky presence of arousal. Then he bit down, forceful enough to draw blood, the taste tangy and carnal and immeasurably erotic. Dean nearly convulsed beneath him, body buzzing with energy, and he came again with his cock pressed between Castiel's stomach. He groaned this third time, as if the orgasm had been ripped from his body, and his body was so tense and rigid around Castiel's cock that the Alpha came again without warning, pained and violent and swollen. Fuck, Dean muttered, slumping his head against the mattress and closing his eyes. Holy fucking shit, Cass. Castiel licked the open bite on Dean's neck, soothing it with his mouth. He had always imagined this part of mating, the actual biting part, would feel primitive and unnecessary. 
but there was a thrill deep down inside of him knowing no one had ever done this to Dean before, and no one ever would again. Mine, he said breathlessly into the space of Dean's neck. He kissed and nibbled on his collarbone, not feeling conscious enough to do much else. Dean shifted his weight until they were face to face, his finger caressing Castiel's jaw with a light feather touch. Yours, he replied, vulnerability evident in his voice, and it was all the confirmation Castiel needed. Their relationship had begun so unconventionally that they didn't feel the need to talk everything out, to put all their emotions into words. Their unspoken connection had established a profound and lasting bond, an acute understanding of love that other mated alphas and omegas merely dreamed of. Humming the song hadn't been intentional, but as they waited for Cass's not to go down, 30 minutes and counting, Dean had shuffled himself forward for a kiss and pulled back looking amused. Dude, he said, are you really serenading me with Allison Krauss right now? Castiel rolled his eyes and feigned irritation, and they both chuckled. I wasn't serenading you, Castiel insisted with amusement in his voice, though the gesture wouldn't be a bad idea for the future. I was thinking about us, about how we met, and... You're such a freaking softy, Dean said endearingly, fingers kneading the tight muscles of Castiel's lower back. My alpha, sex god with a heart of gold. Castiel snorted but didn't reject the description, figuring there were much worse things to be known for. He shifted his body sideways so he was lying beside Dean instead of on top of him, but the subtle shift of his knot made them both wince. God damn, Dean sighed, turning his body in towards Cass's and entwining their fingers together. He squeezed, looking thoughtful and introspective. Think it'll always be like this? No, I don't think so, Castiel reasoned thinking he meant the now 45 minutes they had spent entwined together. My nod is just sensitive because it's our first time and we've just made it and... I don't mean that, Dean interrupted, though pleasantly enough. I mean, you know, you and me. Oh, Castiel mumbled, letting the words sink in. And then he was beaming. Yes, Dean, where you and I are concerned. He brushed their lips together, sighing. I think it will always be like this. Still facing each other, arms wrapped around each other's sides, Castiel watched Dean's smile fade as he closed his eyes. Soon enough, his breathing was labored and sweet, and Castiel looked at the bedside clock, noticing it was barely eight o'clock. His hand drifted to Dean's hair and ruffled it gently, taking another deep breath and realizing their scent had properly mixed now, a sugary spice that made him suddenly insatiable. They were mated, he thought with a surreal amount of self-awareness. This gorgeous, defiant, sweetly sleeping Omega was his forever. When Castiel burrowed his head closer to Dean's pillow, his heart was extraordinarily full. In his mind, a song was playing on repeat, and words that had never contained much meaning for him suddenly meant everything, with Dean in his arms. He kissed the tip of his nose and sighed, closing his eyes and fell asleep humming.
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.